0: The interesting thing about lab created diamonds is that they've really only been able to make gem quality lab diamonds within the last 10 years or so. So when I first started out 20 years ago, um, I was told there's no such thing as a lab created diamond. There's lab sapphires, but if they're, someone's trying to sell you a lab-created diamond, they're they're lying to you. So move to New York, work in fashion for 10 years, start working at Green Lake Jewelry Works, suddenly there's lab-created diamonds. And so basically a lab diamond is uh, it's the same chemical makeup and the same crystalline structure as a mined diamond. They were just kind of creating in a laboratory kind of environment you know they start with a teeny weeny little kernel of a mine diamond and subject it to chemicals and pressure and you know essentially the same environment that it would undergo in the earth to grow the crystals.
1: If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment about the episode. And if you're watching on Spotify or listening on a traditional podcast platform, please follow, rate us five stars, and leave a review if you would be so kind. Thank you. Welcome to the Way to Know You podcast, season two, episode 22. My name is Nick Rounds, and I will be your host. My next guest has been a professional jewelry designer for almost 20 years. She's worked for Banana Republic, the Nadri Group, and designed pieces for Steve Madden. And these days, she's working for the Seattle-based jeweler, Green Lake Jewelry, specializing in custom jewelry pieces. When she's not busy finding the nearest body of water on her days off, she's collecting shiny rocks and carving wooden spoons by hand with a knife like a complete badass. <laughs> Rebecca Pappas. I Wait. Am- I know you. How are <laughs> you today?
0: I'm well. How are you?
1: Good. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. So you're a professional jeweler and, um, to it's
0: liner there is a distinction there. The jeweler actually makes the things I'm doing more of like the drafting and concepting and whatnot.
1: There you go. Well, that's exactly why I want to talk to you today because mm-hmm. a lot of people know about jewelry, but all, I know very little about like what goes into it. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, yeah. And so for, for all the, all the jewelry noobs, uh, like myself, I want to learn more about it today. So. Um, but before we kick into your amazing jewelry work, I kind of want to start, I always like to start with like how you got into the business, um, and what set you down that, that path. Um, so who or what were some of the biggest reasons why you're such a creative and tactile designer today?
0: Oh, that's a loaded question. I think that just like when you're an artist got to art and, you know, if you're kind of born with the bug, you're just always doing it, you know, as a little kid, you just gravitate towards it. Um, You know, my my parents were always super supportive of us, you know, having creative activities. And, you know, my mom is super crafty. She always had a craft going on. And, you know, she always encouraged us making things, doing things. She herself was always, you know, DIYing, reupholster the couch herself, you know, making the new curtains, that kind of thing. Um, But I think that. Jewelry was something that I was always really attracted to because it's shiny, it's sparkly, it's pretty, and it's beautiful. It's kind of like the convergence of art, history, and geology. Um, All three Mm. are things that have always really uh, interested me. Um, I think I was probably like four or five years old when I got my first bead kit, you know, so started stringing from a very young age. By the time I was like nine or ten, I was... Painting seashells with nail polish and putting them on ear hooks for earrings. And, um, you know, from there, I think I just, as a teenager, I knew I wanted a job that was creative. I knew I wanted to go into the arts. And um, so I decided, you know, fairly early on that I was going to go to art school. I just didn't really quite know where that path would lead me yet. And honestly, I think a, a lot of it has just been instinct. You know, I, 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 start, you know, got to college and, uh, you know, it was sort of, they give you a foundation studies year where, you know, you're learning a little bit of everything. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the greatest drawer, like I'm a decent drafts person, especially after, you know, all these years. But, um, you know, if you were, if I were to sit and draw your portrait, it would not be a very good look, but, uh, you know, so I was kind of unsure of how to harness this, my skills. And I just kind of found the jewelry department very interesting. Um, I I liked the you know the idea that we would be um, using hand tools and really sitting and learning these processes that have been you know basically jewelry has been being made the same way since the Bronze Age. And we just have a lot better equipment nowadays. So um, I kind of just kept following my instinct and just ended up with this with this career path. I, I don't can't say that I knew it was a job that existed when I was younger and kind of looking towards the future but i'm really glad that i found it because it really suits me very well
1: were there any other um other profession like uh types of art or professions within art that you would ever that you ever seriously considered before becoming a jewelry designer
0: Well, um, when I filled out my art school applications, uh, you know, they ask you to fill out, you know, what kind of major you're looking towards, and I chose illustration just because I also love books, I love pictures, I love picture books, and it was kind of the the one major that I felt like I really, I could understand drawing. I could understand drawing and painting and telling stories through images. Whereas, you know, I think I was halfway through my freshman year before I found out what industrial design really means. So, uh, you know, kind of like, had I known more about uh, art careers going into art school, um, I could certainly have seen myself going in the direction of maybe textile design, surface surface design, that kind of thing. But ultimately, I think I would have always found my way back towards jewelry because of the connection to gemstones and um, historical pieces and things like that that always are, you know, interested me.
1: And you mentioned um, you mentioned that uh, you were chasing after the profession within college Uh, and to touch on that specifically, you're a RISD kid. I am a
0: RISD kid. Mm -hmm.
1: For people that don't don't know about the Rhode Island School of Design, uh, what about that school and your experience shaped who you are today?
0: Oh, well, I would say that when I was applying for colleges, I did not know what RISD was. It was kind of just another art school on the list. Um, I was a little bit wimpy, and I didn't want to go too far from my family. Um, I was born and raised in Massachusetts, not too far from Boston. Um, So, you know, I was looking in Massachusetts. I was looking in New York City, and, um, you know, RISD is known for being very competitive and really difficult to get into, and I remember my high school art teacher was kind of like you can apply, but, you know, keep your expectations low. He really did not encourage his uh, students to really shoot for RISD. Um, And I was like, okay. And then I was just like, okay, I guess I got in. And I didn't really know it was, had that reputation until I got there. But um, I think one of the things that's really super special about RISD is kind of its proximity to New York City, where it's, it's close enough that, um, you can get down there to that art world really easily um, and the other thing is that uh, all the teachers there are required to also be working artists so you would have um, teachers teaching you and they are truly living the lived experience of being you know a gallery artist and independent designer working in their own studio and selling or um, you know, uh, there are teachers who live in New York, work in New York City and take the train up once a week to teach a class or whatnot. Um, so you're exposed to people who are really living that life themselves, you know, and um, the the experience that they're able to pass on to you is a lived experience. And
1: um, as opposed and, to like a guidance school counselor, that's just trying, going to be sitting there to, m- yeah, yelling under their awesome. breath at some Teenagers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're not like teaching you from a book. They really, they really know the deal, you know? Um, and uh, let's see. So, but also, you know, I really wanted to go to New York when I, when I was a teenager, I was like, I want to go to college in New York. want to be in that city. Uh, but I think that if I had been in the thick of it, uh, I, it, my work would have suffered You know, there's so much distraction. There's so much overstimulation. There's so many other things to get in trouble with where RISD I was on a campus with, all these other creative people from all over the country and all over the world. And we had our nice little, we called it our RISD bubble, you know, our light, nice little bubble that we were living and working in while we really learned to, to see and be creative and try new processes. And uh, you know, it was amazing to have studio access with like, you know, every tool you could possibly imagine. And um, so it, it was a really special experience and it, it was, I'm still very friendly with many of my colleagues from RISD to this day.
1: You mentioned growing up in Massachusetts. What was the creative scene like, like there compared to New York? And I, that's not really a fair comparison well, I was at all. A because
0: teenager, <laughs> I was a teenager. Um, well, uh, where I grew up in Marsh was uh, in uh, Massachusetts, was kind of like outside the city, a little bit of a pretty beachy coastal town. So. Um, the art scene there, I, I was, you know, not really necessarily something that was a, I was a big part of. Um, and it, do, and it does exist. There's, you know, plenty of artists working, uh, in the area, but, um, I would say it's much more, uh, local, local. Actually, I have, uh, right behind me, uh, uh, photograph from a local artist near, uh, where I grew up it's, you know, and then in, in New York, it's just everywhere. It's so much, it's so huge. It's, you know, the galleries are representing like these really giant globally known names versus something that's a little bit more intimate.
1: <laughs> yeah. From going to New York for the first time. Uh, it's, it's funny because you know, I'm a game designer and, um, games aren't really a known creative function out in New York as much as it is on the West coast and vice versa. I was really struck like how prevalent and how, like outside of LA, like there really isn't a lot of a strong art scene other than just like little local pockets of stuff, um, Mm -hmm. on the West coast, but New York, it's so, so prevalent. There's so many living and working artists in New York. It's kind of wild. Um, just how much, uh, New York fosters creativity. I was always blown away by that. Um, I guess, uh, what about New York City? Because you, um, you started working in New York City, right? Uh, after, or was that San Francisco like- I
0: had a couple like lost years where I was in Massachusetts after college. And I, you know, I worked for some fine jewelry stores in the Boston area. And then it just, mm. New York was such a natural step. Uh, you know, um, so many of my friends from school had moved there because that's just where the art jobs were. And um you know, I kind of followed down as well, and I, you know, had like two thousand dollars in the ego of a twenty-five year old, and I was like, I can get a job, and you know, <laughs> I got really lucky. I, you know, I hoofed it, and uh, you know, just put every, put resumes out for everything that I found, and um, it was I, I think it was within two months I got my first job, my first true design job at Nadri Jewelry Group, and that was in New York City.
1: Touching on on Nadri and Banana Republic, um, what kind of pieces or projects did you work work on when you were working there?
0: Well, um, Nadri Jewelry Group is, um, I guess we would refer to it as a look of real company. So it's still fashion jewelry, um, but it looks very much like made from real diamonds and gold. Um, A lot of bridal. So, uh, you know, I love antiques, I'm an antique girl. I love vintage. And so uh, very intricate designs, very vintagey. a lot of just a lot of sparkle and you know this was in like 2005 2006 so i was still drawing everything by hand repeats and reflections had to be done on a photocopy machine and we would fax our tech packs to china (laughs) overnight and uh you know so that was uh that was a fun experience, you know, kind of to be on the cusp of the technology that we now have today and, and kind of grow with that along my career. It's, it's fun to have had that knowledge and also the hand drawings and drafting skills that I developed at Nadri Jewelry Group were an incredible foundation for the rest of my career. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was with Nadri for about five years and actually, uh, the account that I worked on primarily at Nadri was uh, for Nordstrom. So I have an early connection to Seattle in my professional career. And so I did that for about five years. And then I went on to Banana Republic, which was a very different experience. We were designing <laughs> across an enormous breadth of, of styles from, you know, tiny little delicate look of real to you know giant necklaces with fake flowers and you know uh really big exciting pieces and you know I it the so what was also really unique about Banana Republic was that we were a small part of a much much larger whole so um as a part of the accessories department I was also um concepting up with the handbags and the shoes and then as a whole and socks. I've spent so much of my life in meetings about socks. Um, and then <laughs> And then you know we were at the accessories division. Then again within. The
1: wait 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 wait. Hold on. Oh, okay. What what are the what what would a sock meeting entail? Like now I'm curious. <laughs> Like what, what, like when you get into a really in-depth conversation about socks, like what kind of stuff are you talking about?
0: Well, first of all, there's color and like what colors are going to go in the three pack. And that is huge, you know, and usually you have like two solid colors and a pattern and what's that pattern going to be? And then how do those colors and those patterns match back to the collection at large of the clothing, um, but something like a, like a three pack of socks can be like a major unit driver. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm here, I've got my pants, I've got my top, might as well get some of these too. And then if you're selling a lot of that, then, um, you know, the revenue from that allows you to kind of play and gives, gives you that money for the little bit of riskier things that, uh, like, like my giant necklace with fake flowers, you know, um, but so, yes, lots of socks. And then as the accessories division, it, we would be with, like then within the larger division of the women's apparel. So, you know, we were seeing concepting coming from the top down um, and designing almost a year out from when that would actually drop in the store. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, f- the funny thing about, I mean, you're just touching on the fact that like so much thought and intention goes into something as simple as socks. It's always funny to me that um, if you have the name design in your title of any sort, like how much thought, and just the fact that you're going to have a meeting about socks and intention there is seems really silly, but then that is the whole point of design is that people should be able to just look at something, decide they want it and keep going and pick it up and never know how much thought and intention went into that specific thing. Um, I think chairs are the easiest example of that, of like, there's so much thought and intention that goes into chairs because it's a it's a you know it's a, almost a functional piece of art of um, what is the function and form of this what is it going to do like where is it going to sit is it for an office is it for a living room there's so many questions you can ask about a chair and like what purpose it serves but you don't really think about that as a consumer you're just like oh a chair i'll sit i'll sit in it exactly but then you sit in it and you're like, why does this chair feel better than this other one? Or why do I like this chair aesthetically more than this one? And those are all things that designers think about, regardless of profession, is who is this for? And um what what do I want to um imbue this object with to make it uh satisfactory to customers? So
0: And I think that uh, the key to being a really good designer is to make all of those uh, thoughts and intentions come through and have the consumer sit in the chair and not even think, why is this more comfortable than my other one, but like, not even notice those design intentions, but just enjoy it and you know, you keep kind of gravitating to it. Like this is my favorite thing, but you don't even really know why it's because all of those, you have no idea that there were five materials meetings about what that chair should be made out of, you know, (laughs) inside material, outside material and the mechanics. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that that's really kind of a nice uh, correlation to draw.
1: Absolutely. And I just like talking about nerdy stuff in general. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, you just you just, you describe the fact that you're you're part of the you're part of the accessories team at Banana Republic. Um, I guess uh, what are some of the like most challenging things that you faced as part of that division? Because obviously Banana Republic, their main um, focus is clothes and apparel, whereas you kind of come in as like a little bit of an afterthought. I guess um, when you're part of a giant brand like that, like what are s- kind of some things you have to deal with compared to like a normal mom and pop shop of, of jewelry?
0: Well, layers and layers and layers and layers of corporate red tape. Is um, you know, I and I, I like to kind of describe a big company like Banana Republic as like a cruise ship. You know, there's so you have to if you want to turn, you have to start turning really, you know, early because it's going to turn real, real, real slow. And um, I think that. Towards the end of my time at Banana Republic, the retail landscape had really changed a lot with um, direct to consumer companies like Everlane or really, really fast fashion like Zara kind of coming in and, and uh, really getting the, you know, the new look fast to the client. And then um, just kind of, uh, you know, when you're designing a year out and but, you know, Zara has the runway looks in the shop already and the runway show is like less than a month ago, how do you compete with that? Um, so I think that also too, um, when you're dealing with really a huge change in the retail landscape and you're, you know, your main driver is uh, pants are your main business or dresses are your main business. It, it can mean that things like jewelry can go by the wayside, but in the end it is part of the finishing look there, you know, and so um, the attention is given to it. And then you just, you, you know, you have these massive collections that you design, you know, this much into it to get down to here. And so, um, when there's lack of alignment and you're trying to turn things faster, what I found was, um, just, there was a lot of redesign, a lot, a lot of redesign, a lot of, uh, a lot of sampling. And, you know, eventually I found myself in the seat of having to explain to the factories and to our vendors and suppliers, why we were doing so many samples and it was a little bit of an uncomfortable place to be in. Um, but, and then you have to get all of your concepts cleared through like level after level, after level, after level. Um, whereas, you know, if uh, working for, you know, a family shop where you're working directly with the client, you know, you have much more ability to, to ch- make changes or, or change the timeline or, uh, you know, stop and, and, and reconsider and, and move really quickly rather than taking this like giant collection and trying to, tweak and change but you're moving slow like a cruise ship if that makes
1: sense oh yeah no totally um yeah because uh i guess what are there any other factors that kind of affect the collection or kind of like the direction of the company like does fashion week like how does fashion week affect that or are are there any other factors that tend to uh, affect the, the metaphorical cruise ship. more than other
0: <laughs> yeah. Fashion is a big one. I mean, when, when you're working for a company like that too, you're just always looking at whatever everybody else is doing from, uh, the runway shows to forever 21 to the people who are sort of like on par with the business you're working in. You're always looking at what everybody else is doing. And, uh, the idea there is, is you're starting to, really see like ooh that feels really fresh and that looks like something that would work for our brand how do we take that idea that concept and that kind of general look and feel and make it our own and um you know working for banana republic we had four seasons and we'd probably have like 12 13 collections for each season so you'd probably be designing about 20 collections knowing that Few of them would drop out, um, and then within each collection, you kind of build it out. Like um, I would like to start with like the main focal piece, so your your big necklace, and you know you'd give have one like big necklace that really set the tone, and then you can take some of those elements to make you know your big earrings, and then your smaller pieces that kind of extrapolate out from that. So before you know it, you know you have. Uh, a whole collection of 10 pieces based on, you know, one kind of motif. And so also too, you have to kind of look across the the 20 collections and the multiple pieces within it to say like, where are we making repeats? You know, does this thing look different enough from this thing that they could sit on a T-bar together and someone's going to know the difference. So, um, and, but, but the devil is in the details and jewelry is full of details. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of like, um, you look in real tight on the details and then you have to pull back and look at the bigger picture constantly.
1: That makes sense. Um, even if it's a date example, are there, was there a specific time where a new design from somebody else or just, uh, something that came along that like kind of set your current plans on its head? Or I guess, have you seen a, a recent example of that, of just like a new design where you're like, Oh wow, that is really fresh, I guess. Um, is there anything specifically that comes to mind?
0: Um, I would say um, the most current example that I can think of is less like, oh, that's really fresh, but more um, sort of a, a unique style that you don't see so often is suddenly popular because of uh, celebrity influence, which is um, a two stone engagement ring. Sometimes you might hear it mm. referred to as moi et toi, French for me and you. Um, apparently Machine Gun Kelly gave Megan Fox one, and (laughs) I think there was another, there was like, uh, Ariana Grande or something like that. One of those. So, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing much more requests for these sort of asymmetrical rings that have two main stones versus the one center gem that we typically think of when you think of like the engagement ring emoji. And of course, big news this week, Benifer is back together, Ben Affleck and, and J-Lo. Um, they rocked the world uh, back, you know, when I first started out my career when he bought her a pink diamond, which is incredibly rare and incredibly valuable. Um, he really outdid himself this time by getting her a gigantic green diamond, which is even more rare and even more valuable. So
1: <laughs> that is hilarious.
0: Yeah, celebrity influence is huge, you know, and that's definitely something that I saw working in fashion with Banana Republic as well. You know, if um, if celebrities were out wearing certain styles and designs, consumers would chase those styles.
1: Yeah, I mean, rose gold is a common example of something that was you know hot for a long minute, uh, for a good amount of time. are there any other kind of meme or trendy things, um, even if it's from the past, that you've kind of noticed over the years that you think are interesting or just like kind of came and went?
0: Well, you mentioned rose gold and um, rose gold being a trend is a conversation that I have a lot now that i uh, I'm, you know, working with fine jewelry, primarily doing bridal. Um, I have heard the popularity of rose gold attributed to the rose gold iPhone, which I was guilty of owning. Um, And I was working at Banana Republic at the time when rose gold first started to become really popular. And I remember um, it was such a challenge to get the right color plating from the factories. We'd get a lot of like really orangey stuff coming in and it just didn't really look quite right. And so it took us a couple seasons of sampling it again and again. and It took, I think, time for that trend to rise for the factories to really start figuring it out. Um, I do think that rose gold is here to stay as a new modern classic. I think, uh, before say 2013 ish, when, you know, the trend really started to rise, uh, you wouldn't really see a lot of rose gold unless it was combined in a three tone with white and yellow. Um, and I think that, you know, yellow gold fell out of favor for a very long time in the nineties and two thousands where, you know, girls would say, oh yellow gold. It was like my grandma's 80s, print. you know. So I think uh, now we're starting to see a little bit of an upswing uh, in requests for yellow gold, but I think we would have seen that a whole lot sooner if Rose gold hadn't risen in popularity as a nice warm tone option. And I get women who'll say, I can't tell if I want this because it's trendy or because I really like it. And I tell them, go over to Claire's accessories buy yourself a cheapo fake rose gold ring, wear it for a week. Tell me how you feel at the end of that week. And it it really works. I've had some people say, thank you. I can't stand looking at it anymore. Or yes, I know I really love this. This is what I have to do for my ring. So um, yeah, rose gold has been, I would say the number one uh, trend in jewelry over the last decade or so that really has just come in and taken over.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really smart hack of just uh buying something that you don't really care about and just literally trying on the general idea of whether you want it or not um i mean <laughs> if you're not if you don't ring, wear rings in general putting any ring on your finger is going to affect you in ways you didn't think about before um yeah because you you rock a decent amount of rings at all times you're you're you're, you're not just the president you're also a client <laughs>
0: I have to be balanced too. I have to have like the same amount on each hand. <laughs> mm. um, I do. I do. I do wear a decent amount of rings. I, um, most of my rings, I, I have one that's like a nice antique. And then a lot, most of my rings are just really fun, semi-precious and sterling silver. Uh, but I love the gemstones. So, you know, I, I, I like to say I like all jewelry from plastic to platinum. I do not discriminate. <laughs>
1: everybody can appreciate a good ring pop ring every once in a while. Right. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so to, to break into like the, the devil of the details, um, let's talk about the process of what it takes to take a custom. Cause you're now currently uh, working for green Lake jewelry and making custom pieces. Um, but I think it's really from, so full disclosure, you and I used to be roommates uh, and knowing you and knowing about your work and then um, realizing how much work and thought and intention went into each individual piece of jewelry. I always thought was really fascinating. Um, So can you describe the process of a client walks in the door and says they want something and kind of walk me through to the end of now they there's a ring on a finger, like what does that process entail?
0: Well, I would say, um, you know, the majority of my clients who are walking through the door are looking for like an engagement ring. Usually it starts with the engagement ring. We'll work together all the way through wedding bands. Sometimes, um, you know, I work with people on wedding bands and they've already had an engagement ring or family ring or something like that. But so, yeah, I I usually do just start by asking, like, do you have something in mind? Did you collect any pictures you want to share with me? And then, you know, based on what they may have collected for pictures, then I can just start suggesting things to try on. And I'll just ask them. You know, as we're trying things on like, oh, have you ever really worn a ring before? Do you want to see some different stone sizes? Like, do you like rose gold or or yellow gold or white gold? And I just start asking questions and asking questions. And, uh, you know, as you're you're just kind of like a building a portfolio of like, definitely not this, maybe some of that. And, um, you know, I think that my fashion background Is really helpful in that, um, you know, I can look at a Pinterest board and she might feel like there's a million ideas there, but I can see the same idea kind of repeated again and again in slightly different ways. So I can kind of start to gauge people's preferences and just start making suggestions like, oh, you like this? How about like that? Um, And so, you know, eventually by the the end of like that initial consultation, we've had some rings that we've been trying on. We've talked about a bunch of different um, stylistic items. I've kind of educated them over the different terms for the different details and whatnot. Um, and then um, your center stone. Your center stone is is a huge piece of that, too. So there's a lot of talk of do you want a diamond? Do you want a different stone? Do you want a mind diamond or do you want a lab created diamond? Lab created diamonds has been huge, a huge. You, you asked about trends. I can't believe that. I guess it's just so big in my day to day life. I didn't even think to mention lab created diamonds, a relatively new technology. Um, and then so, you know, so, well, Really strong ideas, and some people are a little more like, "I'm not even thought about this before."
1: Uh, so, what what is a lab created diamond? Um, sorry to interrupt.
0: Sure, no worries. Um, so, the, just just kind of like preface the interesting thing about lab created diamonds is that they've really only been able to make gem quality lab diamonds within the last ten years or so. So, when I first started out twenty years ago, um, they I was told there's no such thing as a lab created diamond. There's lab sapphires, but if they're, someone's trying to sell you a lab-created diamond, they're they're lying to you. So move to New York, work in fashion for 10 years, start working at Green Lake Jewelry Works, suddenly there's lab-created diamonds. And so basically a lab diamond is uh, it's the same chemical makeup and the same crystalline structure as a mined diamond. They were just kind of creating in a laboratory kind of environment. You know, they start with a teeny, weeny little kernel of a mine diamond and subject it to chemicals and pressure and, you know, essentially the same environment that it would undergo in the earth to grow the crystals. So um, some companies kind of tend to greenwash it as like the the ethical thing to do. I think some companies are really, you know, doing a wonderful job of creating them with, uh, you know, green processes, some are just kind of making them, you know? So like some of them are are made a little bit better than others. Um, Also, they they can't make them perfectly yet. So you still have to go through, you've probably heard of the four Cs, your color cut, clarity, um, and carat weight. So you still kind of have to choose and be a little discerning with the lab created diamonds. I think um, you have very popular, too, because the price point is really friendly compared to a mine diamond. So, uh, you know, that kind of the opposite side of that coin is that unlike a mine diamond, they won't hold their value over time. So it's kind of like... Um, For the young folks, the analogy that I like to use is how every time a new iPhone drops, the old ones uh, become way cheaper. For the over 40 sets, I like to liken it to when my parents got a VCR and it cost a million dollars. But then within two years, there's like a VCR upstairs, a VCR downstairs and one just for rewinding. (laughs) (laughs) technology moves really fast, and they become more affordable more quickly. So what has been really fun from a design perspective is that means that uh, large stones have become much more accessible for the average consumer. And that's a whole lot of fun to design with, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, it kind of sounds like um, the the IKEA or the diamond like diamonds from ikea kind of of like i'm not buying this to to make it last or I'm not buying this to flip it and sell it i'm buying this because it's functional and it's gonna give me what i want even if i didn't pay an arm and a leg for it so
0: right and you know the big thing about lab diamonds not retaining their value like you, obviously you don't want to bring the thought of broken engagement into anybody's head you know when they're in there looking at engagement rings uh but they're was, you know, historically a long tradition of, you know, purchasing the small diamond that you can afford when you're just starting out. And then maybe for your five or 10 year anniversary, uh, trading that stone in for a larger diamond that would then be your anniversary stone. But, you know, if you got a lab, create a diamond and you're starting off at two and a half carats, there's not really anywhere to go from there that, you know, so um, most of my clients are just using the cost savings to go straight to the size of stone that they would wish that they, you know, they want to have. So, um, you know, there's kind of two sides to the coin. How do I feel about it personally? Would I purchase one? I think depending on the kind of diamond that I, you know, and shape and size, like, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. But uh, what I can say is that Lab created sapphires, rubies, and emeralds have been around since the late 1800s. So, you know, that, that technology came way sooner and were very, very much invoked during um, the Art Deco period. And uh, I, sometimes I do get clients who come in and they're shocked and disappointed to find out that grandma's gigantic sapphire is, in fact, a lab sapphire and not worth very much. That one actually is an aquamarine. And that one Uh, is indeed genuine. uh, But talking of the Art Deco sensibility, that's that's one right there.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think this is probably one of my favorite pieces that you've shared. Thank you.
0: Um, I've done two pieces with that client, and we're working currently on a third. And all three of them are some of my most favorite pieces I've done at Green Lake so far she has excellent taste <laughs> and she lets me have a lot of fun.
1: That's rad. Um, sorry. I, uh, I went off on a tangent about the, uh, the lab created diamonds, but I just mm-hmm. thought it was really fascinating. Um, uh, I wanted to go back cause you didn't finish your thought about um, the process of
0: uh, oh, sure. yeah,
1: stone to final piece of mm-hmm. like um, where you come into it. I think you were just talking about, I think it was like leading up to the, part where you start drawing basically.
0: Yeah, basically. Um and so uh so you can kind of think of me like a project manager. You know, I do all of the customer interfacing. Um so I'm kind of there to have, kind of guide and suss out what they actually want. Um I do all of the images. So sometimes I do hand drawing, sometimes I do some Photoshop. Now I've got like the iPad pen and I'm just, like drawing on my iPad and then throwing it into Photoshop and then hand drawing something else here. So whatever it really takes to get the idea across um, you know, I'll put together the images and the, you know, some people can really just like see it right away. Some people are a little bit more hesitant or kind of have a hard time visualizing. And there's all kinds of tricks with physical things that we can do to help someone see, okay, this is how big it's going to look. Yep. Kind of like that. Like this is how big the stone is on your hand. This is how big it'll be coming around your finger. Um, and then, yeah, this is a really nice example of, uh, what's called an orthographic drawing. So you're, uh, basically, giving the the chiscale uh, from all all the different sides, so that you know, then what happens from here? You know, the client says, "Oh yes, I love it. Okay, let's move forward." This then goes to a CAD modeler, and the CAD modeler will then uh, create a wax model in using three D three D technology, basically. Um, And then the wax is cast using a process called lost wax casting, which again, is basically what we've been doing since the Bronze Age, we just have way better equipment, you know, the wax gets packed in kind of like a plaster like material, um, and then it melts out and then you shoot the metal in to fill the cavity. So um, when the wax model is ready, I will invite the client back in to come check it out in person. So it's yet another round of let's pretend because you're like, OK, this is green. OK, the prongs are sticking way high in the air and you can't see the engraving yet because that'll be added once you know that it's been cast in metal. But it does give them the opportunity to see how it's coming together three dimensionally. And you can really see things to scale, which I think with jewelry, One of the most challenging things is when you're looking at it, you know, looking at these designs and you're looking at these pictures on your giant on your phone screen or on your computer screen um, to then see it again. Oh, yes, this is really what the size is. Okay, I feel like way less nervous. So um, once the client approves the wax, we cast it. And when it goes to the jeweler, it has kind of like a crusty surface area on the casting. And so the first thing that they'll do is polish that all down, and then from there it's a level of detail. So one of my favorite things about Green Lake Jewelry Works is that they do—they specialize in hand handmade jewelry techniques. So um, really fabulous hand engraving. That's an excellent example of hand engraving right there. Um, filigree, which are like those little kind of curly cues that get hand shaped and uh, you know welded into place. Um, actually, if you go back one slide. Um, That one had a really that one. So that like right in the center there, those little metal curly cues are shaped by hand and then welded into place. So um, really spectacular detail work there. And um, honestly, as a professional designer, it never, ever, ever gets old seeing your drawings turn into actual real uh, product that you can hold in your hand
1: yeah that's the exact same for me as well like seeing a game uh, go from inside of your head to a tangible game that you can actually play is always like one of the most magical moments so mm-hmm. totally totally agree with that um <clears throat> so what what are some of the most satisfying interactions that you've had with customers once you've delivered the final product so to speak
0: well, what's really kind of cool about the my current position is that it, you know it's a little bit of a process, so you really get to know these people. And for many of them, the majority of them, they're, this is a super exciting time in their life. They're getting married. They're they're merging their families. Um, you know, there's there's so much going on. Oftentimes, they're also buying a house at the same time. So just really getting to know people is a huge part of the satisfaction for me. Um, and you know, I would say when you deliver that finished ring there's nothing better than like tears of happiness, you know, occasionally you get tears of happiness. I had this guy picking up the other day. He was laughing. He was crying. He was laughing even again and then crying. And I was just like, I am like so happy to be able to make him feel like that, you know, just so overjoyed over this really, really beautiful piece that symbolizes his love for his fiance to be, and just all the exciting things that they have coming ahead of them. Uh, and I would say uh, my kind of confidence and my appreciation for my clients has grown about 300% since the pandemic. You know, I um, we shut down for about three months in 2020 from March to, to end of May. And then from we've been, you know, open in person since then. Um, and since I do work with the public and, you know, my family's on the other side of the country, I'm pretty strict about staying home and, you know, keeping work home, work home, work home. So um, getting to socialize, getting to meet new people, getting to be a part of other people's lives as we move through this like absurd situation, you know, once in a lifetime, kind of hopefully experience has really uh, brought me closer to them and really scratched that social itch. You know, otherwise, if I had to sit at home, I'd probably just be going out of my mind dying to meet people.
1: You know, please got very it
0: very satisfying <laughs> uh
1: that's funny well not really funny it's but yeah but you we know can
0: laugh at. now it's okay
1: <laughs> comedy uh yeah yeah Co- comedy is uh stubbing your toe or sorry tragedy is stubbing your toe comedy is falling down a manhole and dying <laughs> as as i think it was attributed Mar- it's either gretchen marx or <laughs> Mel-, Mel Brooks. i'm blanking I'll look it up later. Um, so, uh, because you know, the main reason that people walk through the door is to get an engagement ring. Typically, um, are there any other like common things people might want to know ahead of time if they're shopping for an engagement ring or just shopping for for jewelry in general? Are there any common other common things that they should kind of know ahead of time?
0: Yeah, I think that like. F- f- stylistically, it's nice to just kind of glance at what's around, you know, what's out there and what you like and what you don't like is just as important as as what you like. And, um, you know, I think that also kind of looking around will give you a little bit of a sense of, of cost. I, I will ask, ask my clients, like, do you, do you have a, a budget you're trying to keep everything within? Or are you still trying to figure out what everything costs? Because like, why would you know what it costs? Why would anybody know unless they were me me and sitting on, uh, you know, on that side of the counter. So uh, kind of guiding people through that process as well is, is part of, part of what I do. But I think, you know, if you're, If you're going to buy an engagement ring, I think finger size is a good thing to know, or just at least kind of generally, you know, we can get pretty close. Some styles are way harder to size than others, and no girl likes to be proposed to and not be able to get that ring on her finger. So I usually suggest, you know, erring on the side of caution and um, getting maybe a little bit on the bigger side if you're not really sure. And then that way, at least she can get it on her hand. Um, finger size having a little bit of an idea just at least an opinion you know i' part of my job and part of why I'm there is to to help draw out the ideas but I think to come in with at least like an a, an opinion of what you like and where to start um, is a good is a good way to go I would say right now particularly a good thing for people to know is that jewelry has been in really really high demand. Um, and lead times are are quite long. So I know uh, at Green Lake Jewelry Works, we're currently working on a 15-week lead time. Um, and from what I've heard, it's it's similar other places. And uh, a lot of that is due to sheer volume. Um, we have also experienced some supply chain issues, typically with just disruptions in shipping. You know, um, everything from a hurricane in the Midwest to forest fires in the Northeast can you know disrupt parts that are being shipped in from all over the country. Um, Gold, gold has, you know, gold prices have been very high, they surged to the highest ever, um, in the fall of 2020. And, um, you know, we've been seeing it kind of, ever since, and then, you know, Ukraine, so it's kind of, (laughs) And we'll see where that goes. Uh, So I think it is, I think that to keep your expectations around timeline top of mind, because uh, volume is very high and demand is very high.
1: So what you're saying is if you're even considering within three months, just get the engagement right now and maybe by the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Start planning for next year. Um, And I would say uh, it's not just, The jewelry industry, it's the wedding industry at large. You know, now we're we've seen two years of wedding postponements and so many more engagements as people have realized, well, if we can make it through this, we can make it through anything together. Let's do this thing. Um, so uh, you know, my I've heard my client was like, Oh, I called the woman who's making my dress and she said, Oh, I'm glad you you caught me because my voice mailbox is so full, I'm just not even opening it anymore you know or seven month wait for uh alterations for a wedding dress or uh venues booked out years in advance now so um and then things can happen like your your photographer at the last minute might come down with COVID, and then you know you have to scramble to get someone to to uh fill in so the the wedding industry at large is booming and so if you're planning a wedding be flexible, but get as much done or you know in advance as you can. So I've been telling my clients, as soon as you know, as soon as you know what you want to do, let's just do it. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. I can worry about it for you. And we'll just know that it'll be here in time. Like, take it off the list.
1: Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's wild um just how many people have started getting married specifically this year. A lot of people that I knew that were planning to get married on that very convenient twenty year of 2020. Unfortunately had to wait two years to do it. Um yeah, that, that's that's really good insight. Um so uh just building on building on the engagement industry in general as well. Um so diamonds are typically the most common stones that people chase after. Um, what other types of stones should people be more aware of, as far as like options um, that would be well, great pieces?
0: Diamonds. Diamonds are definitely the first thing that come to mind when you think of an engagement ring, and you know there there are many 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 reasons for that. But from a jeweler's perspective, the reason why diamonds are make for such an amazing engagement ring stone is that they are the hardest. And so they really stand up to that daily wear and tear. So, you know, you can pass a diamond down from generation to generation, and it still looks great. You might start to get some little chips around the edges, but with softer stones, what you start to get is a real like scuffed up look across the top of it. Um, And then, and they can even break. So, um, you know, as an alternative stone to a diamond for engagement rings, we love sapphires. Sapphires are right underneath diamonds under the most scale of hardness. Um, And they come in a huge range of colors actually. Most people when they think of sapphires think of uh, that cobalt blue, but um, they come in all kinds of colors. Um, Ruby is just a red, special red subset of sapphire. So those are also right up there. And we do, at Green Lake, we do a lot of work with sapphires out of Montana. We have personal relationships with the mines there. Uh, The stones are all super unique, really beautiful colors. And, uh, you know, clients come in looking for something different. You know, they come into a custom shop looking for something different. And if you have a sapphire and it has, you know, like the Montana ones do, just kind of unique coloration and, unique uh inclusions which is kind of like the stuff inside uh, then you really know that you have a super special stone that's totally one of a kind
1: yeah i didn't know about montana sapphires until i stepped foot into the shop for the first time i was like oh interesting yeah Uh, it's pretty cool yeah
0: and people like that it's from america you know technically the pacific northwest I, i i believe too montana right
1: Mm i don't i don't think they count it's, it's
0: it's
1: it's it's big sky country as far as i'm concerned mm. but yeah um are there any uh are there any like uh favorite pieces that you designed that like really you're really proud of that um you're super stoked to work on or side question uh from working in Seattle, which has a lot of nerds near you,
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. specifically
1: from Microsoft and other places. um, Uh What are are some interesting or unconventional things that you've had to design?
0: Well, if you want to know about the nerds, I have a fun one for you. I actually don't know if I've told you about this one yet. uh actually it's not being gifted until may so i can't really go into too much detail but it is uh magic the gathering related um (laughs) and it is very large with a uh very large lab created gemstone in it and uh yeah the guy the guy that i worked with he's uh you know special connection with his wife with over this particular uh, magic creature. And uh, yeah, he he wanted to have something real special made for her for their, tw- I think, 20th anniversary. And that uh, magic was a big part of their relationship early on in dating. And so yeah, he had this piece commissioned for her. And uh, he cracked up when he picked it up. I, I was like, I'm nervous. You know, it's this like giant, giant, fancy piece and, you know, little experimental. And he just, you know, it tickled him so, so much. He just cracked up and I think it's uh, end of May, she'll be getting it. So I'm like, fingers crossed, hopefully she'll come in and tell me how much she loves it. But um, it's definitely a place where, you know, we get a lot of requests and some of them we can honor and some of them we cannot. So like we can't touch anything licensed. So Superman, Pokemon, Mickey Mouse, no, <laughs> no, Marvel, no. Um, but you know, you can do like a nod too. You know, I've had Zelda fans do uh, you know, triangles on along the side to emulate the Triforce, and then it's just a triangle ring, it's not a Zelda ring, you know, so you can't kind can, of can, Get a little nods in there, and um, we do get a fair amount of requests to engrave in Elvish, so you know we have that element as well. Um, so a lot of really fun, quirky stuff comes through. You know, um, you know, the majority of what we do is a little simpler, a little bit more of your classic engagement ring style. But every once in a while, you'll get one where um, you know, oh, she's she is a librarian. How can we get a, a book in in here? And you know, and or how can we um, how, uh, how can we get like a, a cat, we want our cat in here, you know, how can we get a little cat engraved in, in, in secret in there somehow, a little fo- little footprint in, on the inside of the ring. Um, so, you know, I'll, even even the more traditional piece can have a little bit of a unique flair when you get up close on it.
1: That's awesome. Um, are there are there any other styles that that you personally are a huge fan of? You mentioned Art Deco previously. Um, are there any other types that like really resonate with you personally?
0: Uh, yes, definitely. So um, the Art Deco for sure, and then I would say sort of like the Victorian Edwardian period, which I think a lot of people when they think Art Deco are actually thinking of the Edwardian era. So. Um, Lots of platinum. Platinum technology had just been, uh, you know, gotten good enough that they were able to start working in platinum. Previous to that, was everything was gold and silver. Um, Lots of super intricate patterns. That's where you get um, a lot of those. uh, uh, That 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 one I call deco, but has a lot of elements of that I'm talking about, where you get that like beaded line texture, the little stones set down into different shapes that create a larger motif. That one's definitely one of my favorites. So as an architect who uh designed that one with me and i think you can tell (laughs) art deco loving architect
1: yeah it's it's wild a wild amount of detail
0: yeah so anything that has like a vintage flair lots of details little teeny tiny engravings that's really my jam that's my my favorite uh kind of style to work with it's really fun to draw and it's just like it's unbelievable when you're holding the finished ring and and it's like i know the guys who are making this you know we're like laughing over lunch and you know i know his kid and then he just like hands me this treasure that he made it's my drawing and he made it you know it's it's really really amazing
1: yeah that's that's the kind of stuff that i'm always uh, most blown away by in your instagram feed of just like when you switch over going from your initial design to the final product product and uh, taking a 2d object, but really interpreting it to be a, you know, full 3d and then bringing it to CAD and making it an actual full 3d object is always, you know, really fascinating. Um, and I love seeing that your initial designs are usually not that far off from the final thing and just seeing like how much creativity goes into it always blows me away for just an object. That's so tiny, but has so much incredible amount of detail. It's like, writing the bible on rice like it's like who the hell can actually do this it's wild
0: mm-hmm. and you know i do we do stuff like that sometimes where our client will be like oh can i engrave this phrase in here will it fit and i'll be like well let's see well let's get the wax model and I'll show it to the engraver and we'll see you know like how how much can we really fit sometimes it's it is just a matter of like going to somebody who's going to be actually putting it in there and saying like, okay, so can we really get that small? Um, But yeah, no, I, I love drawing the details. I mentioned loving the details earlier and um, picky is not a dirty word in a custom shop. Picky is just another word for detail oriented and, um, uh, a custom shop is where picky people like to come and, and get detail oriented. So sometimes I get clients who are like, am I being too crazy here? And I'm like, no, please ask all the questions. Please ask all the questions. And if you don't like it, let's change it. Cause we can't really go back once it's done, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I already have your money. We're, we're all done.
0: Let's <laughs> say like, from this point on, it's really hard to make changes. So if you want to pause and reflect, let's pause and reflect.
1: Yep, that makes sense. Um, and if people want to get awesome custom pieces from you, they can visit Seattle and go to your shop in Green Lake Jewelry.
0: Hey, they can hop onto GreenLakeJewelryWorks.com and they can We do tons of work remotely with people all over the country.
1: Awesome. Um, so I have one last question for you and it's very serious as most of my last questions are, where is your favorite place to visit in the Pacific Northwest on your days off? Oh,
0: my favorite place to visit. So, um, as a longtime New Yorker, I still don't have a car, (laughs) so it has to be on the bus line. Um, but it would probably be just about anywhere along the sound. I love to be right on that body of water. I love to be uh, beachcombing. I love to be looking down and seeing what kinds of cool rocks I can pick up and so much cool wildlife in the water here. And then if uh, you're blessed with uh, a view of the Olympics, it can be a really, really special treat. So uh, Carkeek, uh, Golden Gardens, or um, Discovery, like Discovery Park, probably hands down one of the best places here in Seattle. So I like to do that. I like to get out and, and be along the salt water.
1: And for context, if people are listening, um, Puget Sound is the body of water. That's uh, one of the body waters. It's the one that's west of Seattle. Um, Elliott Bay is the one that's touching Seattle, but then the general uh, huger piece of body waters is, is the sound and the olympics uh actually it was really funny when i first moved here um one of my coworkers was like oh i'm gonna go to the olympics this week and i was like oh i didn't know the olympics were happening and He was like no the olympic mountains dummy so um yeah that's how you know if you're, you're a newbie or not but um yeah good times all right rebecca uh thank you so much for your time it was fantastic to talk to you as always um so you already plugged green lake jewelry and your website uh or the website of green lake jewelry rather um is there anything else that you'd like to plug while before we get out of here
0: um no but i have i have a message i have a message people clean your jewelry it is dirty and don't <laughs> clean it yourself take it into a jewelry store and have a professional clean it for you especially right now in the midst of the pandemic uh, where we're putting so much hand sanitizer, I have had clients uh, complaining of irritation because just junk gets caught under there. So clean your jewelry, wear your jewelry and enjoy your jewelry. Um, and yeah, uh, I think it's a it's just a really special thing to have a little little beautiful treasure and uh, at Green Lake when we make it by hand that makes it even more special.
1: Awesome. All right, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time.
0: You're so welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It was a pleasure. Everybody else. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.